Welcome to the County Pulse. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia County government. I'm Katie Boyle, BACO's Director of Government Affairs, and your host for this episode. So today it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show Jim Regenball, who is a familiar face to VACO members. Jim's an economist with more than 30 years of experience in state and local budgets and tax policy analysis. He's a frequent presenter at VACO events, and of particular relevance to today's discussion, he's a former staffer to the Senate Finance Committee, so he's well-positioned to shed some light on the state budget. So Jim, welcome back to the County Pulse, and thanks for being here. Thank you, Katie. Uh, We've got some interesting times coming up here in the new General Assembly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, you know, it's December 30th when we're taping this episode. We're about a week away from the official start of the 2020 General Assembly session. So that'll convene on January 8th. It's a week from Wednesday. Um, But we've already had kind of the unofficial kickoff of the session with the presentation of the governor's budget to the money committees on December 17th. So I know you've been spending some time reviewing and analyzing that budget. Um, I know there's, there's a lot to go through. It's a very significant document. Um, but I want to just start by talking a little bit about process, kind of how we got here, what happens next, how does the administration put the budget together? Well, the administration every year goes through its process of asking various boards and advisors, um, include and also the Department of Planning and Budget, to get agencies to submit their budget requests they run the revenue, that's on the expending side. On the revenue side, uh, which is very important to deciding how much you can spend, they use their, the Board of Economists to, to uh, fact check and, and decide what sort of forecast they want to have for the economy and how that flows into state revenues. And then they double check that with uh, the Governor's Advisory Council on Revenue Estimates, which is mostly business leaders and some members of the General Assembly. Uh, to look at those uh, economic forecasts and sort of translate that to what they're going to put forward in, in, in terms of the next biennium revenue estimates. Uh, and then the governor uh, comes up with his introduced budget, in, which includes those, uh, you know, the revenues they decide to uh, forecast. That's great. Well, so speaking of revenues, kind of a, another how we got here question. So the message from the administration from late summer through the fall was what I would sort of characterize as tempering expectations. We were hearing a lot of caution about revenues. And although the governor characterized his revenue projections in his budget as as cautious, there does seem to be a fair amount more in the way of resources in the biennium budget than we may have expected a couple months ago. So can you walk us through the revenue projections that are embedded in that budget? Sure, Katie. Actually, last spring, I was pretty optimistic about the upcoming uh, new biennial budget because of one particular factor, and that was the the structural balance we had in our budget. There was a lot of one-time spending already built into fiscal year 20, about $700 million, so that that was not going to have to be spent going forward into the new biennium. But I was also pretty confident about about the economy. It was looking pretty good. Uh, Over the summer, we had certain voices that were cautioning that uh, things might not look as good as they as they appeared going forward. Uh, But that didn't prove to be right. We've had we've had strong revenue growth in the first five months of um, of this new fiscal year. And we've had a historic stock market run up to this date, 29 percent for the for the current calendar year. So we've got a backdrop of a 
of better revenues than expected. We have a structural balance in our, in our budget. And then the last thing that happened that was very unexpected was uh, due to Medicaid expansion, we were able to shift a number of people into that new expansion population, which is funded 90% by the federal government rather than 50%. And that saved us, amongst other things, that saved us $211 million in this current fiscal year, which then flows forward into the next two years with a lower, through a lower base. So that added a bunch of money. Um, the, the forecast that's come out in the governor's introduced budget was better than expected, but it's still rather low. And so we still have, the General Assembly still has uh, potentially the opportunity to add more monies to this current fiscal year 20, which again would flow through potentially into the next biennium as a higher base of revenues. So I think there's a lot of levers to be pulled. In fact, um, I, I've never seen sort of a change in potential philosophy of the general government with a move from a Republican-controlled General Assembly to a Democratic, coupled with um, finally it looks like a move out of um, very cautious uh, revenue uh, capability of the state to a, to a more optimistic revenue state of the state. So mm. there are some things that can happen this session on the budget that uh, we haven't seen in quite a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a long ways from the governor's introduced budget until tiny die, as we know. The right. A lot, of, <clears throat> a lot of chances for the General Assembly to kind of rework it. Well, so can you talk a little bit more about your optimism about potential additional revenues coming available. I know everybody's watching non-withholding very closely. Um, and, and when do you think we would have a better idea of how revenues are holding up? Well, the, the governor forecasted uh, he only need 1.2% to make the last year's adopted fiscal 20 budget. He forecasted 1.9% in total revenues and transfers for the year. That's doesn't seem like a lot, but that is that is better than what was talked about over the over the summer, which was even a potentially a, a reduction in the forecast. So we've got we had a surplus, in, uh, a large surplus, uh, even counting the new uh, the refund checks in October. We still had more than 300 million above what was needed. Um, we've got now a boost in revenues from to 1.9 percent versus 1.2. Um, but we've been growing at 8.5% for the first five months. Non, uh, withholding, which is two-thirds of the general fund, has been growing uh, better, almost 5%. We've had sales taxes growing uh, 6%, a lot of that due to um, the state's new ability to uh, require uh, out-of-state Internet dealers to have to collect our sales tax for us. Um, we've got pretty strong corporate revenue growth going on. The worry is that when we get to the spring and some of our, our tax laws that we implemented last session, the increase in the standard deduction by 50% um, and um, uh, I forget the other one right now, but uh, we've got uh, the cap, we took the cap off on, on property taxes, that's mm -hmm. right. We took the cap off on property taxes, the federal government instituted the $10,000 cap. Those are going to kick in at the state level. Uh, but those are only expected to cost about $300 million. And we actually sent refund checks of over $400 million last year, and we still had a huge surplus. So the economic backdrop looks similar to last year, and we're only, we're only forecasting 1.9% revenue growth. Mm -hmm. We could get a lot better than that and uh, if, if withholding and sales continue and we don't get this huge drop-off in non-withholding. 
Um, one more thing I want to add about that, when you have tremendous stock market growth, uh, that doesn't augur you know, huge refunds for people. They're going on their mutual funds, their ETFs, their stock sales, they're going to be paying capital gains on that if they take any. Now, we didn't have the big drop-off in Christmas like last year, which may have been a lot of selling because people are, are more optimistic. But still, the backdrop for revenues is pretty dang good right now. And, and I'm, <laughs> I think we may be low on that 1.9% forecast yeah. for this year. Well, which is sort of a good problem to have, I guess. Um, do you think sometimes in the past the General Assembly has done kind of a reforecast mid-session? Um, do you think there may be some appetite to do that? Or do you think it's still too dicey with... Uh, waiting towards the last quarter to see how non-withholding shakes out. Yeah, you're right. Filing season is, is basically April, May, and June, and so we won't know what happens to the non-withholding. It, it has grown 15% each year the last two years, and so that puts people uh, at edge that it, it, uh, it it's going to drop back as it usually does. But as I explained, we've got we've got uh, a different economy than, than uh, we've had. We've also had a, a federal budget that's been adopted that's grew their spending. Last time we dropped off in, in 20, from 2013 to 2014, we had sequestration. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. Right. Virginia's highly reliant on federal spending, particularly defense. So if we continue to grow, like I say, non-withholding, I mean withholding from 4 to 5 percent, sales continue to grow 6, corporate tax revenues come in, we have a good estimated payment in, the, in January, mm -hmm. even though we haven't filed our, for our calendar year 19 returns yet, it's going to be hard for the General Assembly to see revenues growing at 5% to stick with a 1.9% mm -hmm. growth rate. It's mm -hmm. going to be very hard for them to do that. <laughs> So traditionally, because um, of the way the biennium budget cycle intersects with the gubernatorial terms, you know, this budget is kind of seen as the governor's signature budget. It's his opportunity to introduce a biennium budget and implement it. Um, so what do you see as some of the kind of signature items in this budget? Well, because the governor had significant amounts of, of money to spend relative to the last few bienniums, um, he is continuing his policy of putting money into reserves. He has uh, a little bit in the rainy day fund requirements, but the big one is another 300. He had 271 million from fiscal 19 that he's appropriating in fiscal in fiscal uh, 20. He's got um, new reserves of 300 million that he's he's putting into fiscal 22. Um, he is left. 200 million, 100 million each year for un, in uncommitted appropriations for the General Assembly to use. And then his, some of his own priorities have, uh, uh, that have come out include natural resource funding. He's using a lot of debt as well for that. He's increased, uh, we've got increased debt capacity because of better revenues. So he's proposing well over $2 billion in new debt authority. A lot of some of that going to natural resources, a good chunk, higher education, state facilities. Um, he wants to beef up the housing trust fund, the, the broad, his broadband initiative, um, him and the governor's wife. The governor and governor's wife are always very interested in early childhood, so they're, mm -hmm. they're making uh, improvements to that, including the Virginia Preschool Initiative, uh, increasing the per pupil child payment, which localities should be very interested in that. Mm -hmm. Um, he is promoting uh, what he calls a G3 initiative at $146 million to help uh, people pay for community college 
Yeah, they have to give back some mm -hmm. some of their their time as well to get this grant, but that's that's a significant uh, effort. He's got a reinsurance program to try to lower insurance costs for people that are sort of between, you know, who are outside the Medicaid expansion roles or Medicaid. They have too much money for that, but they're still not that well off uh, through the state exchanges, health insurance exchanges, to help lower insurance costs. Um, he has done quite a bit in uh, mental health and helping localities also fund local social service staff. Uh, um, he's got some uh, initiatives in um, uh, improving uh, unfunded constitutional officer positions. Uh, so he, he's, he's K-12 was uh, somewhat of a priority, I'll put it, um, but he, he, he funded a few of the uh, he definitely funded the rebenchmarking. He funded the retirement system increases needed because they're reducing their investment rate assumption. Mm -hmm. um, he, but he also had a couple of initiatives, including at-risk at children. Uh, there he put a, a good chunk of money into at-risk funding in K-12 um, and ESL. So, uh, and also guidance counselors, mm -hmm. which a lot of that is related to at-risk kids. But he didn't do uh, a significant chunk of what the Board of Ed proposed in, in its deliberations over the past year. He didn't do a lot of those yet, so that's still left for the General Assembly to cogitate over. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think a lot for local governments to like in the budget. I mean, I think you listed quite a few of those things. Also, as you kind of gestured towards, there's some opportunities for, for further conversations about some ways to strengthen the state and local partnership. Um, I know we talked the other day about some potential perfecting amendments to the to the budget. So where do you see some of those opportunities and things that are sort of not in the budget? One thing he didn't do, and this isn't directly related to local government, but there's no increase for state employees. You got a lot of money and mm -hmm. state employees can't be happy about that. Right. I, I've talked to some, Especially I have friends there. For, for teachers. Right, there was a 3% salary increase. That was something I, I missed for in the second year for teachers. but. Uh, and teacher salaries are, are have badly lagged, not only the consumer price index over the last 10 years, but really we're fairly low compared to our wealth, compared to other states. So that's going to be a, 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 you know, a source of uh, debate in the coming session as well. Certainly state employee salary, teacher salaries. Um, 599 funding was not growing at all, again, with lots of revenues. These things sort of stick out when you see, you know, the, all these new revenues that are available. And, and that's uh, aid to localities with police departments. Right. And that's usually funded at the growth rate of the general fund, and there was no growth applied to that. And for counties, uh, they're always interested in uh, fully funding sheriffs. Mm -hmm. They're 1 to 1,500 standard. Jail per diems across the board have not been raised in a long, long time, and there's substance abuse and mental health uh, demands in jails uh, that uh, you all know about that wasn't touched so there's a lot of things that, that weren't touched even with uh, all these additional revenues but as I said in the beginning there's some definite flexibility still including unappropriated funds that the even the, even in the governor's forecast mm -hmm. that haven't been used yet yeah and I'd like to talk a little bit about that 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 element in the budget really caught my eye and I wanted to ask you as a, as a longtime budget observer you know the governor set aside a hundred million dollars each year for legislators to use for their priorities. And, you know, of course, in theory, the General Assembly can 
totally reconstruct the governor's budget, but this was a really specific um, set aside. And so how unusual is it for a governor to do something like that? And, and what, what do you think will be top of the list for legislators to use that funding for? My, my personal uh, opinion is that the governor did this because um, of the sort of the new General Assembly and their philosophy. And he, it was an olive branch in his party uh, to give them um, a greater say in how this budget is crafted. There was a lot of things he put in that are, that are of interest to him, but he knows a lot of other people in his party have things that are of interest to them. Uh, as well, so he left that hundred million. I've never seen that before in 35 years. That kind of money left by the governor in his introduced budget, just sort of uncommitted appropriations based on their current forecast of revenues. Never seen that. So hmm. it's uh, again, it, it just adds to the flexibility and the interest that's going to happen this session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one element that's that's drawn a lot of attention, and and I think details are, are fairly sparse, but. Uh, we got a little bit of a sneak preview when the governor announced his his budget is the transportation package. Um, there's a little bit of an effect on the general fund, so that has to be accounted for. So there was a little bit of conversation in, when he presented his budget, um, but we only know a little bit about it. But but can you talk about what's in the, this transportation proposal as we know it? There were two tax increases proposed, one being transportation, and that was over the course of uh, essentially three years, um, he has proposed to increase uh, gas taxes by four cents a year uh, for three years, for a total of 12 cents, and then index it to inflation in the future. That would put it up to approximately, if you count some of the regional taxes, about 35 cents per gallon on a statewide average. Um, he also, to, to sort of mute the, the, uh, the increase to lower income people, I, I think, he made a case for not doing the annual $20 state uh, safety inspection. It's about $150 million a year because there's uh, 8 million vehicles that are inspected. So um, that's savings. Then he also proposed to cut the, uh, the, the DMV fee in half, and that's another about $40, $40 per year. So cut it in half to 20 That's another $150 million or so in savings. So he offset the gas tax increase by those two proposals. Uh, one thing I didn't mention earlier was um, in helping fund, he linked the funding of his reinsurance program to a uh, 30 cent per pack tobacco tax, which raised about um, $240 million in total. And that would go to the health care fund. And although it's used just like general funds, he linked it to his proposal to fund a reinsurance program for uh, health insurance. Right. And I think I recall there was sort of a nexus drawn between um, the health costs that smoking imposes on you know, Medicaid and sort of the rationale for using it as a match for Medicaid money and, and also to help um, lower health insurance premiums. So it'll be an interesting, I think, um, conversation to have about both of these proposals. So I've already seen a little bit of a reaction about the, the safety inspections. So. So that'll be interesting. So yeah, there's a there's a lot to chew over in the in the state budget. So I just want to talk a little bit since um, we've got you on here, get your thoughts a little bit on the state of the national economy. So you were last on in June, and and since then we've had um, you know a little bit of mixed signals, um, some concerns about global growth slowing, but as you mentioned, stock market doing very well, unemployment very low. What's your kind of gut sense of the overall health of the national economy? Well, my gut sense is that 
for the next year, there's no recession uh, in sight. After that, nobody ever knows because of extraneous things that could happen, shocks, you just don't know. Uh, recessions are usually caused by bubbles. And so with very low interest rates, you can clearly, you can imagine a bubble forming in certain things, although I don't think we have one now. Interestingly enough, in this economy, even with with the low interest rates, very low unemployment, you know, lowest in 50 years, essentially, hardly any unemployment claims. You don't, the household sector is very strong in terms of its uh, balance sheet as well. Uh, other than student loan debt, households have um, high savings rates. You know, they're, we're saving 8% a year, which is kind of unusual for Americans. Uh, maybe that's the new millennial generation. They, they don't, they <laughs> a little more conservative. Uh, people like to hammer the millennials, but I, th I think maybe there's something to that. Um, on, they don't just spend as much. You know, the whole idea of spending on experiences versus things, maybe hmm. they're maybe they're savers too. Hmm. Um, so uh, you don't see that bubble uh, that usually occurs yet anywhere. Of course, government spending is is uh, you know we're running trillion trillion dollar deficits. Um, long as the saving rates are high, though, look at the Japanese, you know, they've got 250% of their GDP is, is in debt, and that's, we're, we're not even quite 100% yet, we're getting there, we're almost, hmm. but so, but they have very high saving rates in Japan, so, hmm. uh, but you could see shocks occurring around something like that, potentially, if interest rates go up, uh, you know, significantly, uh, that could cause a recession, even though it's such low levels right now, inflation could increase, again, I, I just don't see it over the next year, so, uh, I always talk about these budgets in, in two forms. One is um, the forecast, and that's what appropriations are developed in the general assembly based on forecast. And then there's actual revenues, and things do change based on actuals, but uh, we're in the forecasting and appropriating stage right now. And the actual stage is interesting for locals because what's been happening is we've been under forecasting revenues lately and so we've been getting surpluses the fairly sizable amounts the last two fiscal years and what's happened to those surpluses in the main they've gone to reserves and so we've now got proposed eight percent of our general fund reserves which certainly wall street likes and our triple a credit rating is, is secured with that um, but if we continue to have surpluses because of under forecasting in good times what should happen with those should we continue to put in reserves even though we're so well funded now and I think that's a debate local governments sh should have. Um, should it be used to uh, be put into the RERS trust fund to lower retirement rates? I mean, they're over 16% right now, 16.62, and that's a big hit on local governments. Mm -hmm. They have to fund those retirement rates more than the state does for teachers because of uh, the way the standards of quality work. And there's also uh, potentially you could call for using that f uh, for a school construction renovation fund. So if we keep running surpluses, maybe it's not just water quality that gets its 10% or reserves. Maybe it's, it, it, localities need to think of how those reserves are used. Mm -hmm. I mean, how those uh, surpluses are used. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, Jim, as always, you've given us a lot to think about. Um, I think that'll about wrap it up for us for 2019. So I want to thank you for being on the show today. And I want to wish you and all of our listeners a very happy new year. Thanks for being with you, Katie.